Ready graphics? Ready theme? the 90s were often like a very special episode where somebody's gay what do we do about this it's the crisis of the week and for the nanny the crisis is not that there's a gay person present it's oh they're just they're just a part of life uh they're just a thing that happens in the world uh the drama is going to come from some other misunderstanding Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And welcome to an interview. We're very, actually, a double interview. A double interview. Very exciting. A double. We're very excited to share with you. Uh, so we start off with Mr. Matt Baum. You may know him from the YouTubes. He has this really amazing channel where he goes through pop culture uh, from all the way back in the 70s, like All in the Family to the 90s, like The Nanny or Frasier or Friends, pretty much anything that would have a LBGDQ plus experience in it. And he goes through the history. It's really amazing. And I've learned so much. Start for The Nanny, stay for the Star Trek and the murder she wrote is my experience. It's really fun. I think you'll really enjoy it. I know I enjoyed our conversation with Matt. Yeah, we were really lucky that he agreed to come and talk to us, not just about Murphy Brown, which he has some great videos on, which we'll link in the summary, but also about 90 shows in general. Mm -hmm. And then a, a second guest joins us. Uh, Lauren, who's that second guest? That would be Mr. Gary Donzig, part of the what? writing team of Peterman and Donzig. And we're very <laughs> excited because we've been wanting Gary to be on the show for a while. So next episode, Gary will join us. So definitely stay tuned for the rest of our discussion there. We hope you enjoy. Bye. Will the mystery guest please sign in? Hi, it's Matt Baum. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I, so I make YouTube videos about pop culture, in particular, the times that pop culture and queer culture intersect. So I've done videos about like gay episodes of Frasier and The Nanny and Murphy Brown and Quantum Leap and all kinds of different shows. Oh, I love that you mentioned Quantum Leap. That's... Yeah. One of our favorites as well, and has a crossover with Murphy Brown, so. Does it? I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Scott Bakula appeared as oh. Murphy Brown's love interest for oh. two seasons. A crossover okay. artist, not a crossover episode. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should have. I should have been more specific. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I saw the confusion. <laughs> I was going to say, I love, you know, did he jump into, like, one of her secretaries or something? <laughs> I mean, technically, he did do a bit on Colbert, which is on CBS as mm -hmm. as Sam Beckett. So maybe that would have been actually that would have been great. Murphy did potentially have Elvis as a secretary. So that's anything right. is possible. Oh, there you that's go. Right. Yeah. And he was Elvis in one episode. Perfect. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, I, we always like to kind of know someone's origin story. What what got you into deciding this is something that I need to put on YouTube and I need to uh show the public all the amazing things that I've found. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is just I really like watching TV. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was not a big part of our, our lives. Um, my parents were pretty, I wouldn't say strict, but um, their interest for the family did not lie in television. And so there wasn't a lot of television going on in the house. And so now as an adult, I'm just like obsessed. So uh, <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, so you're catching up in a way. I really am. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I'm discovering for the first time. Like I watched Married with Children because they have a gay episode for the first time like a couple years ago. Never seen it when it was on. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That must be a shock. That's that's a show particularly, I feel like, in the context of its time. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's, you know, stuff from the 90s has a weird way of aging where sometimes it's real timeless and you're like, wow, this really works. And other times you're like, my God, the hairstyles are the <laughs> least dated thing about this. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of societal assumptions in that show in particular. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. It really, it needs like a little pop-up video style thing to explain like <laughs> I'd say like 75% of the jokes. So I started getting involved, like just watching a lot of television. And then, you know, on another track in my life, I've been involved in queer media in various different ways. Um, I worked on the Prop 8 trial that legalized gay marriage in California. And um, I have um, written for a lot of LGBTQ magazines and been a, a writer in that space for a long time. And just, you know, was making a lot of videos on YouTube about queer issues. And then when I started to look more at entertainment, I saw, wow, this is a really great way to look at, like, the history of television, the history of queer life, and the ways that they overlap and, and the ways that um, they've kind of co-evolved. So that's what my, my videos have really turned into. Over on my YouTube channel, I post videos about um, the intersection of queer history and uh, pop culture history and how all those things, you know, just evolved together at the same time. It's I have to be honest, I'm I have particular interest in one of your uh, focuses recently. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a Star Trek fan, it's it was very important for me to see you talk about Bashir and Garak, because that is just such a, a fandom canon relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I is in many ways stronger than the creators <laughs> wanted their own canon to be. Yeah, when it comes to fighting the assumptions. Uh, so I really appreciated your deep dive into that. It's so often that happens that something takes on a life of its own. I mean, like as evidenced by this podcast, that the fans are the ones who are really the passionate stewards, like the good, you know, keepers of the entertainment, uh, even more so than people who, mm-hmm. you know, for them, it was a job. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I completely understand as an artist, and I think even more as someone who puts out content like this, I don't know if you have the same feeling is you got to get it out, you got to get it done, and then you move on to the next project. So mm-hmm. you don't really remember maybe what you said or what you did. Whereas, you know, people like ourselves who are watching it over and over again, of course, we're going to mm-hmm. remember it more than the person who did it. But I feel like I have that perspective more now. It's it's really true. I, I love um, I was when I was doing interviews um, or research for my um, uh, video about Deep Space Nine and, and the gay couples on Star Trek. Uh, I came across this interview, I think it was with LeVar Burton, where somebody asked him about an episode and he's like, oh, I haven't seen that one. And they were just shocked. Like, you haven't seen an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? He's like, I was on it. I didn't need to watch every single episode. <laughs> I just love hearing that. That like they, they don't know. It's like, you know, you don't remember everything you do at work. But also, I think, you know, most actors don't like looking at themselves over and over again. It's just, you know, you, you critique yourself way too much. Yeah, it's true. Like, it, it's hard for me to watch my own videos. I understand. <laughs> Not for us. Well, and also something for shows like that is a lot of times they have no idea what's in the rest of the episode after the first read. They do their scenes and they go home. So a lot of times they have no idea that, especially for somebody like like LeVar Burton, unless it was a Geordie-centric episode, a lot of his stuff was outside of the primary plot. So he probably mm. won't even remember most of the time what happened in the rest of the episode. That's a good right. point. <laughs> He's like, I know I was in here and some a nacelle went wrong and I had to help. <laughs> I don't remember what how that helped the rest of the A storyline in that moment. Right. I don't know what's happening on the bridge. <laughs> I would be curious just briefly to before we go into some specific 90s shows, because what I do love about your channel is that it is sort of the wide ranging history. And I think for a lot of people, particularly who didn't grow up with, say, All in the Family, which is a big sort of tentpole. 
Where did you find yourself starting and where do you see sort of, and I know this is a broad question and I apologize for the briefness, but sort of the milestones and the progress that maybe either surprised you or you knew but saw sort of the trajectory of because of your research? You know, I think my like entertainment focus um, really kind of crystallized around Golden Girls. Um, I'd been doing a lot of like videos about like queer issues. And then I did one about, I think it was the episode, Isn't It Romantic, where um, Dorothy's friend Jean comes to visit and Jean's a lesbian and they don't want to tell Rose and Rose finds out because Jean has a crush on her. And so I'd done a video about that and uh, people just really responded well. And I realized I love talking about it. So that's what got me going on this particular track. And then, you know, I've done videos like really spanning a huge amount of time. Uh, I did one about Bewitched uh, a couple of months ago. I'm working on one right now about the Muppets. And so that's taking me back to the 1950s. Great. Um, about, you know, the queer references on the Muppet show and um, Richard Hunt, who is the queer puppeteer yeah. who is part of the core cast yeah. that, that really formed the Muppet show. So anyway, so I've been, you know, just zigzagging all over history. And I think... The one of the time periods that I think is the most surprising is in the late seventies. There was a real, I don't know what else to call it, but like a gay um, renaissance on television, um, where a lot of shows. There were a lot of gay characters on shows very briefly in like seventy seven, seventy eight, and like we remember Jody on Soap really fondly, although his identity is more complicated than just saying gay. Yeah. But there was also the Nancy Walker show, which people really do not remember. Uh, oh yeah nancy walker i've heard about it but i haven't seen it because i know her obviously from rhoda but so what character on on her show i believe i may be conflating this with another show but i believe she there was a uh gay hairdresser on that show which you know (laughs) it was maybe a little tropey uh Mm -hmm. but then there was also like a bunch of norman lear projects um hot l baltimore which is a show that didn't last very long and Mm -hmm. then obviously uh, all in the family had some gay episodes so it was this little window where there was a lot of gay stuff on TV in the late 70s. And, and the then, Jeffersons also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jefferson's um, one mm-hmm. of the first characters that on television that today we would we would call transgender. Um, so it, it, that all kind of just vanished around 1980. And I, I think it was because um, politically there was a big resurgence in conservative candidates that, that won election in 1980. And I think TV, you know, people who make TV were like saw which way politically the country was, was going there. And they were like, all right, let's back off a little bit. Uh, and then through the 80s, um, it was difficult to talk about queer stuff without talking about HIV, which just, you know, uh, sitcoms might not have been the, an appropriate place for that. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's sort of a quieting down with queer content through the 80s, uh, through like, I would say really mid 90s. Um, and again, thanks to a presidential election, you know, in 92 and uh, 94 in particular, but really yeah. like, was it 92? Was 92? 92 election? Clinton, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 92 Clinton. Yeah, that was when like he was jokingly they they you know would would say like this is the 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 gayest person who's run for for president until barack obama and then he was like barack obama was declared the first gay president jokingly uh but in 92 there was a lot of talk about marriage and the military and adoption and uh of course hiv and so queer characters started coming back in the 90s at that point uh because often when things happen in the news sitcoms are the way that the country kind of processes what they're going through i'm intrigued in this evolution as you're talking about it when you talk about the trope of the uh, the flamboyant ha- hairdresser or uh, those kinds of coded characters, when do you see the majority of gimmick as far as a gay representation versus a fully fleshed out character who isn't solely defined by being the gay one in the show? Do you wow. see a trend with that? Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like the wacky gay friend was certainly like that was the trope in movies and TV. I'd say right up through Will and Grace and even after Will and Grace. I think another one that really changed things was Glee, like having Kurt as like a main cast member on Glee and like episodes devoted to him. I think that really changed things. But yeah, it was it was definitely like, you know, to the point where there were multiple uh, YouTube series in, in kind of the mid 2000s making fun of this. There was Disappointing Gay Best Friend and there was Sassy Gay Friend. You sassy know, these gay friend. <laughs> different different comedic takes on like the expectation that uh, queer characters, they're, they're going to be the funny ones and they're never going to have a love life. They're just there to commiserate with you know, like on Sex in the City. They're just there to commiserate with the with the straight, perpetually single uh, female leads. And, oh, you know, there's a great movie that kind of makes fun of that. Um, it's not Straight Jacket. What was the name of it? It's the one with Renee Zellweger and um, David Hyde Pierce. Down with Love. Oh, yes. yes. Which is which is a send yeah. up of the Rock Hudson Doris Day movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Jack Plotnick is in that. Jack Plotnick, fantastic actor uh, who's on Ellen. And the other thing people might know him for is the Got Milk commercials where he was an alien. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but anyway, red, so Jack Plotnick. The, red, the redhead guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff in the 90s. Yeah, I, can't, I didn't realize. He was in Gods and Monsters, I think. And anyway, so he's in Down with Love. And, um, you know, the brief appearance is like the the art department guy. And uh, one of the characters says, oh, I, I hope the other guys in advertising aren't riding your tail too hard. And he goes, I don't mind. Wink. And then he like struts off. And he's got this like <laughs> mincing walk. And everybody goes like they do a take to each other. And it's such a <laughs> funny like send up of how those characters are always like referenced. But we can't say what's going on. But everybody really mm-hmm. knows. So what do you feel was the big change? You mentioned the 90s. So what, is there? do you see a specific moment a specific episode or is it really just more the political nature of the country at the time you know as complicated as she is i really think ellen deserves a lot of credit for being the one like the the main character she wasn't the first queer character on television but uh by by a long shot but it was like it just cannot be overstated what a big deal it was at the time like today we look back on it we're like yeah sure it's a very special coming out of the closet episode i've seen a million of them but back then, like, there were watch parties, like, yeah. bars would, I was talking to the owner of uh, the Wild Rose here in Seattle about it, like, packed. They, like, the city, like, the gay neighborhood shut down and people were, like, packed into that bar to watch that episode. I mean, it like, headline news, front page news that Ellen came out of the closet. Um, and that really changed, I think, television. Uh, it really showed people that, like, okay, this can be done. It can be done tastefully. It's going to cause – I mean, that caused a fuss. Uh, she, you know, only lasted another season after that. And um, I think TV might have been really set back had not Will and Grace come along uh, to prove, like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's cool. <laughs> you could do a gay-focused show. Uh, it's, it's possible. Like, they really took the – you know, she set it up, and they, they, they continued to run with it. I – was struck by when you mentioned the first, as we would now know, transgender character uh, to show up. I, I'm intrigued in your research, uh, something I was thinking about, you know, I will always go back to Star Trek if I can, but my favorite episode of Next Generation is The Outcast. And it's about finding a, a non-binary, as we would call it these days, but it, as they called it, androgynous society, and the challenge of that discussion. But at the time, that was lumped into LGBTQ plus uh, conversations. And so I'm curious for you, do you see a point in our our pop culture history where we started actually separating the conversation of being a gay character versus a gender nonconforming character? 
That's a great question. And, I, you know, again, I think like as complicated as the show is, Glee um, was contributed to kind of mm-hmm. um, untangling that. It's a real challenge sometimes when we're talking about older shows, because like you say, they often compla- conflate gender identity, sexual orientation in these ways that or they just use terminology that doesn't work for like calling them an androgynous race. Uh, like today, like you hear that and you're like, ooh, ooh. yeah, <laughs> uh, same thing with um, Jody on soap. Like he's a hard character to talk about because he's like, I'm gay, but he has more relationships with women than with men. And also he wants to, you know, there's a whole storyline in the first season about how he's going to get a sex change operation so he can yeah. marry his boyfriend. And it was just kind of a, lumped together like, oh, he's gay. That means he wants to be a woman. Well, not, no, not that's not exactly not really. that. <laughs> so I think you know, Glee is, is just it's one of those shows that had characters. And I don't think they had it all figured out. But um, you had a gay character with um, the character. I think the character's name was was Cherish. Was that was that the character's name? I can't oh, remember. There was a, know, a later season character who was gender nonconforming. And yeah, I, I think they helped get the um terminology uh you know un- unraveled so that people were using the right words for the right thing but it mm-hmm. it's a process we're definitely not there in regular conversation of society so mm-hmm. and our media is usually behind us a bit that is also true i would love to start talking about the nanny now because i think it's really interesting to discuss because the same age that I watched Murphy Brown, I watched The Nanny. So I grew up watching it in real time. And as a Jewish woman, to me, that was the only Jewish representation that I had. But watching your episode, I hadn't realized how... I find it interesting that you had a whole episode on The Nanny, which is, of course, a show about a heterosexual woman, right? But still, like with Golden Girls, there are these shows that are just showing the audience that there's no problem with it, which is why I think I didn't realize it, because mm-hmm. in my household, there wasn't a problem with it at the times. So I would love for you to talk about how you feel like the show influenced going forward and what they did that was so important. Yeah. So The Nanny was it's it's amazing looking back at it, how inclusive it is. Like you say, like, first of all, that it's so unabashedly Jewish. Uh, you, you're probably aware of this, but they they did not want that. The network was like, yes. can they be Italian instead? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think it's it really speaks to Fran Drescher's um, just her her vision and her courage that she was like, no, it has to be this, and also that there's so many queer moments and queer references on the show. Um, I think there's there's a couple reasons for that. One, you know, is because the you know man in her life, and you know, we can't know exactly what was going on in the personal life, but her husband eventually came out as gay. Um, also, you know, she just operates in a world, Fran Drescher operates in a world where, you know, she has a lot of gay colleagues and she did at the time that she was making that show. Um, and I, I think it was really fearless of her to be like, and we're going to use that. We're going to use that to, 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 to tell jokes, you know, putting the, setting the show on, on essentially on Broadway, like having Broadway be a major component of the show, uh, is, is going to produce that effect. Um, but yeah, so the nanny had like just a ton of either directly gay episodes that really were about like Fran was mistaken for being uh, a lesbian or Fran meets a, a man who she thinks is gay and then she learns that he's not and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And it just being no big deal is what is the big deal about the nanny. Uh, episodes at the time in the 90s were often, you know, the very special episode where somebody's gay. What do we do about this? It's the crisis of the week. And for the nanny, the crisis is not that there is a gay person present. It's, oh, they're just, they're just a part of life. Uh, they're, they're just 
a thing that happens in the world, uh, the drama is going to come from some other misunderstanding. And, you know, it seems like a small a small thing to do to, like, find drama somewhere else and find comedy somewhere else. But it, I, I think, is, is really remarkable that she was able to, um, you know, just put put gay characters on screen and and, and get, essentially get away with it. Like, I, I can't imagine what the pushback must have been like at the time. But, uh, you know, whatever it took to make those episodes happen, she was able to do. And, and also that it's such a singular bit. Like, it's so clearly Fran Drescher's vision um, that it, it is a show about and starring her that she, you know, she's the comedian who's producing and, and making the comedy. Uh, it really feels like, um, you know, obviously there's other people who work on the show, but it really, you can really feel her influence steering the ship. I'm intrigued by this idea that you have to have a special episode, that someone's sexual identity has to be the plot point. And I'm curious as far as just a, a macro level, how that's influenced our and the younger generations to believe how their own coming out needs to be. Uh, that there needs to be this big drama around it, as opposed to the idea of normalizing the fact that it exists and it doesn't have to be a world-ending acknowledgement in your home. Mm. That you don't have to. I remember being a child and seeing the the covers for for Ellen's episode and being really confused that people were up, upset in the grocery store, and because my parents didn't care. So for me, I just didn't understand why it was supposed to be this terrible thing. But part of that is because our lives are often reflected by the media that we're putting out there. So if we're telling children that if you are, it's going to be a crisis, mm-hmm. I, the the ramifications of how we're representing it is are huge. And I, I think that point of that idea that it, it doesn't have to be anything mm-hmm. aside from someone's identity and the crisis is what the nanny is about, which is what's happening with her. Uh, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we can understate how important that, simplifying of the facts is for especially children watching that's such a great point i you know and i hadn't really considered that but yeah it really sets an expectation when you're coming out of the closet like this is this is my big day because it's it's all about me and i'm the crisis and that puts a lot of pressure on you and also like the expectation of like everyone's going to drop everything when they find out about this do you remember on the real world whenever they would have like especially in the 90s there would be the coming out episode every season. There would always be the one character who's like, um, I've got a little, like he takes somebody aside who he yes. thought would be friendly. And, uh, I've got kind of a secret, but I don't want anybody to find out. So I'm not sure if I should tell anyone. And it would like every year, it would be that one. And you'd spend like the first maybe three episodes being like, which one's it going to be? Who has the secret? And then you'd have like the coming out episode and you're going to be like, I knew it. <laughs> so and I think that's really changed. Like now, like you're right. We we don't bother typically. We don't bother with like when's the when's the big reveal gonna happen? It's just there's the gay one, that's it. Mm-hmm. Then Annie actually had like they tried to do a spin-off called you're probably gonna remember the name of the episode, the one about the hair salon. Do you remember this? Oh vaguely. Chatterbox. Oh yeah. That was the name of it. The, so they tried to do a backdoor pilot uh set oh. at the Chatterbox, which was um their <laughs> the Nanny's hair salon, Fran's hair salon. And um, the premise isn't great, and I could see why it didn't work out as a backdoor pilot, <laughs> but it has the actor whose name I've forgotten, uh, who plays uh, Edward Hibbard uh, on... Nope. Oh, on Frasier. The, on Fra- uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The, uh, no, Gil yeah, I saw him on Broadway. Edward Hibbard is great. the actor's name. Yeah. Sorry, that's I mm-hmm. meant, yes. <laughs> realized what you were saying. Yeah. He played mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the food the, reviewer. The food critic. Whose name I can't oh, remember. Gil. Gil, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I saw I him in Noise Dog. He's character. great. 
Gil, yes, that's it. Gil is great. Yeah, yeah. So he's all, he's one of the actors in the Chatterbox episode, and you know, uh, he he. I don't think would have had a coming out episode because he plays the character so gay, and he actually says like. One of the characters is like, I'm new to town. I don't really know Queens. And he walks by and he's like, well, now you know one. So <laughs> it's very cute. And I don't think that I think if that episode had worked out, uh, I think we would have had there a gay character who didn't need a coming out episode. But sadly, it just the, the premise wasn't quite fully baked. I also think in general, we've kind of come out of that as Jesse, I think you said very special episode, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This sort of, which feels like a very late 70s, early 80s type thing, uh, facts of life, a different strokes, this idea that we're going to stop the comedy and we're mm-hmm. going to do something yeah. very special, something that our main characters are not going to like, but some guest star is going to come in and they're going to they're yeah. going to be the bad one. And the voice of reason is going to tell them, you know, that they're wrong and no, no one is hurt and nothing bad happens. But this issue is done. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I feel like we've moved on to sort of a, the hour dramedy because sitcoms are shorter and they don't have time to go into anything really of substance because they're more commercials. So the dramedy can sort of take its time so you don't have to sort of stop the action or if it's just progress. I don't, I'd be curious if you sort of saw the progression of things like that as you were working through the years. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I would say like... That's a good question. For sure, there has been a change from like, you know, I'm thinking of The Simpsons, for example, with the John Waters episode when like Marge tells Homer that that their friend John is gay, played by John Waters, and he literally screams and then blackout to commercial. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So like going out on a scream. Uh, And then like, you know, that it's just not a thing today. Like it it would be ridiculous to have a character react like that today. Uh, Yeah, I wonder if it being like, comedy and drama and like it just it gives you the time like all right we're, we're just gonna we're gonna bypass the, the whole coming out drama and we're just gonna move on with our lives i guess that does open the door to um you know just having more time to deal with other character issues so maybe that maybe, maybe there is like sort of an, an economy of storytelling that uh they don't feel the need to spend so much time um processing the coming out i also would be curious do you, have you come across because you're coming to this as an adult, whereas a lot of people who are probably watching your channel, um, as we have discovered, re going through Murphy Brown as adults, something that we watched as children, mm-hmm. that you have a different perspective that other people who grew up on it maybe don't have? Well, for sure. When I watched Murphy Brown as a kid, I was like, oh, this is so adult and so sophisticated. And they're talking about things that I don't fully understand. But this is what it's like to be like. It felt daring, uh, you know, which is kind of silly to say, but. Like it felt like kind of exciting and um, a little naughty because they were like referring to like contemporary things in the news. And so I I actually I don't remember if I saw the gay episode um, when it aired uh, of Murphy Brown. I don't recall seeing it when it aired. And I I wonder if Well, it was on a Wednesday. I think you would discuss this. I couldn't remember if you discussed that in your video, but they moved it to a Wednesday and didn't have it on its normal Monday. Mm. I guess they felt that it couldn't dare be on their best night or something. I have no idea. But they moved it to Wednesday. And I think a lot of people probably missed it because of that, Mm. because it wasn't on when they were used to it being on. You know, there there really wasn't a a, a DVR culture yet. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And certainly wasn't like, I don't think Murphy Brown was, bless her heart, I like the show, but I don't think it was like appointment television. So it, I think it became appointment television after Dan Quayle. Mm, yes. Yeah. 
They yeah, were in like the right. top five, top ten. But mm-hmm. after Dan Quayle, they were like number one, number two. Roseanne they was beating waiting. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Roseanne was the number one show. It was sort of like a critical darling. It was doing okay, you know, doing well enough. But it was after that sort of, you know, demarcation, you can even see the quality of the uh, of the episodes just like look different. They're glossier. Mm-hmm. They obviously had a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can sort of see a, a big difference between those sort of moments. So I would say it eventually did become it, but not at the time. I think, you know, I think I really started watching. Was, Gary Marshall came onto the show like midway through the run, right? Yes, that would be yeah. later. I want to say six or seven. That's really when I was watching. It was when Gary Marshall and when Paul Rubens was on. Like that's that's mm-hmm. when I remember like watching every episode. Yeah, yeah. it was definitely much later. And um, <laughs> Gary Marshall's character always made me laugh because the the head of entertainment just happened to live in D.C. Because <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. It's that's one of those things that you can't unpack it. It doesn't yeah. actually make sense like, if you really think about it. Wouldn't you like live in New York or LA? I don't know. This doesn't... just needs to be close to the action. So another show that we love, which we feel has a bit of, uh, I guess, parallelness, because it's not exactly the same type of humor, is Frasier. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Frasier obviously is the rare character where it is a spinoff. And so he, what, he ended up playing that character for... Like oh, almost twenty years, yeah, yeah and he's coming back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> apparently. So I would love to switch over to Frasier and talk about that because that again is another show about straight characters with you know obviously a behind the scenes element with you know gay actors on the show. And I would love to hear your point of view. Now, first of all, did you watch Frasier originally, or were you coming to this new as well? Oh, intensely. That was one show that we did watch like as a family. We all yeah. were very deeply invested in Frasier. Oh yeah. We were definitely like, I remember it being sort of like a team, like we were on Team Frasier against Team Home Improvement. Oh, oh yes. that's real. Totally. That is so real, though. It, it was so intense. Yeah. Yeah. I can barely remember an episode of Home Improvement. If I did watch Here's it, the it was, thing. Yeah, I'll oh, go ahead. I grew up in a family that believed very strongly and you could love multiple things at once. We are a Star Wars, Star Trek family. You can love both. You don't have to pick. And it was so painful for my family because I think my dad, as someone who built things and appreciated the humor that Home Improvement was attempting, he wanted to give it the attention. Like he wanted to support it, but he, we were such an intellectual group that Frasier was the humor we wanted. So there was this, there was this constant tension about whether or not we would watch Home Improvement and this guilt at watching it because we were Team Frasier. But it was like being a Vikings fan, but also like watching a Packers game. Like it was a whole thing, this sense of shame. There were two camps of people. It was very strong. And I think my parents tried to walk the line of both. It was, I, I feel guilt thinking about home improvement. It That's really, what they did to yeah, me. Yeah, it, it feels like a political statement. Like it's something <laughs> like, it, 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 like the people at the UN have to be seated with the utmost care. Was like that, that was the level on which, you know, you had yeah. to navigate the, the Frasier versus home improvement. Uh, I don't know, dichotomy. Because they were on, they were in the same time slot. So it was like, you got to pick one. I think Frasier is the appointment television. Yes, but Frasier. I... <laughs> yeah. So that was a big, that was a big part of our lives. And to the point that like, it was me and my friend in high school, because uh, that's when it was on for me. Um, we were very like frequently compared to Frasier and Niles, uh, the two of us. We're, we're fussy in similar ways. So approaching it as an adult, mm-hmm. tell us what you discovered that you did know 
obviously, and then new things that you you discovered that you have explored on your channel? You know, I think as a young person, as a teenager, when I was watching it, I was certainly aware that there was something about the show that just like resonated with me. And I was like, this show understands me. Like there's a there's a temperament to the characters that I am sympathetic to. And now, like as an adult looking back, um, knowing for one thing that there was a, just a ton of gay cast um, and then also or queer cast and then also that um, behind the scenes, uh, one of the main writers of many of the very best farce episodes uh, was gay. Um, you know, it all starts to come together when you know who was making the show. <laughs> Uh, and also the showrunner, um, whose name I've forgotten, but uh, you know one of the one of the producers was was gay as well. So, you know, it, like even without putting explicitly gay stuff in every single episode, there's just a, kind of a vibe that is communicated somehow. Uh, and obviously, there are also the gay episodes of Frasier, which are fantastic. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. There's just something about the the the. I don't want to say it's like the character's fussiness because you know how all gay people are fussy, but <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about the the comedy. Maybe it's maybe it's you know it hits some subversive note that feels very queer. I, I don't know what it is, but somehow uh, it it tapped into something pre-verbal in my brain that just made it clear. Like yes, this is this is your group. This is the group of people that you're uh, sympathetic to. Do you think because it was mostly farce? they were able to get away with that then by sort of couching it in misunderstanding? Oh, for sure. And and I mean, that's one of the reasons that the gay episodes work so well, I think, because they really take advantage of the misunderstandings that are possible when it comes to like attraction to the quote unquote wrong person when the wrong people are like, you know, mm-hmm. I like you, but you don't like me. And there's this third person. There's a whole trapezoid of, of like relationships. Um, I, I think like, sexuality uh, becoming a part of that really makes the farce. um, They found a way to make it really come alive. So I I think that that definitely helps. Uh, And yeah, I I, I don't know. It might just be that, um, you know, this is, this is going to sound kind of academic and highfalutin, but I wonder if there's just something to um, the poking holes or poking fun of the, the serious, uh, highbrow culture that Fraser wants to be a part of um, and and sort of satirizing it. Something about that feels kind of queer to me that, um, you know, it's it's goofing on uh, how, um, I don't know, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? How he wants to be, uh, Fraser is, is such a part of- Status? Uh, status. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, yeah. that's exactly, that's exactly what it's it is. It's a status so, game for him. Yeah, it's very much that. And um, the I think that's very familiar to queer people who are aware, particularly at the time, of their status being deeply affected if somebody finds out about, um, you know, their sexuality or, or gender identity. So um, having to keep that secret in the same way that a lot of the farce episodes of Frasier rely on him having to keep some um, uh, maybe embarrassing secret uh, to to himself, lest anybody find out and humiliate him. I'm curious as far as the, obviously, there are a lot of things that are uh, coded within the Frasier world and the writing and the scenarios. Uh, One of the things that I've talked to a lot of people about is the existence of Maris and the lack thereof of Maris. And uh, my friend refers to it as like the original My Girlfriend Lives in Canada kind of character. And their disappointment in the fact that Niles never does come out, that they keep Niles straight. Um, this I one of my friends refers to it as, you know, we thought the Daphne thing was because she was 
inaccessible and therefore that was an okay crush to have. And then they might actually go there. On the other side of it, I do remember having conversations about how it is, it's great to see them by quote unquote, keeping them straight, the ability to challenge what masculinity looks like, that if we don't have these characters come out, then what does that mean as far as what masculinity looks like in front of you? Um, I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. If you wish they would have gone a different direction with any of the characters on I wish Bulldog would just be gay. That's my personal belief. That would be but- amazing. You know, one <laughs> yeah. of the um, things that I've observed frequently in doing the work that I do is we could sure use a lot more bisexual characters on television. So mm-hmm. they wanted to, I mean, honestly, make everybody on Frasier bisexual. I'd be fine with that. They are. But in particular, I think Niles, like, I I, I would really enjoy that character, um, you know, exploring that side of his personality. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and I'm fine with him. I'm fine with him getting into a relationship with Daphne. It's not like he needs my permission, but um, (laughs) I I agree that there's a pleasure in seeing masculinity. You know, it's just, this is, this is you know for the show to say, this is a straight character and a straight character can be like this. That's nice. That's, that is a nice thing for, for straight men to hear and goodness knows they need it. Uh, That having been said, wouldn't mind See, you know, I, I always want to see more more queers. So uh, if they wanted to make them buy, I would be delighted about that. There is a reboot happening, right? Supposedly. Okay. Yeah. He's talking about it. There are people involved. There's a script. But it... <laughs> that sounds like every pitch in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it's got to a stage, but none of the other actors are signed on yet. And they're moving him out of Seattle, supposedly? Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. I get the idea of, like, you need a reason to come back. Well, everything is him moving to a new city. He moved to Boston. He moved to Seattle. So, like, I I get that. And I feel like there's only really one way you can go by mirroring the pilot. But anyway. Yeah. He was um, going to be in Denver, actually. Like, originally, originally oh. Frazier was going to be set in Denver. But uh, Denver had actually passed around that time they had passed um basically there was a lot of anti-gay politics happening that was one of the reasons that one of the producers who was gay was like we're not we're not doing that here your episode on the episode that we're gonna be talking about with gary from season four is very comprehensive but you were able to watch something that i didn't know that you've never seen which is i sent you the uncut episode which I recorded in, in the 90s. And so I would be curious if any of your thoughts has changed watching these cut sections or has been more reinforced. So it was a little tricky for me to tell what exactly was cut. I think there's like a little extra dialogue with um, with Miles and maybe Corky. like Miles and Murphy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles and Frank, he I forget if he tells Frank or Murphy that he feels like he's playing a part. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. And that really struck me. I was like, oh, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that version in a while either. But I've probably, you know, seen it a, a lot more when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, I think there's something really interesting there about um, his feelings of inadequacy. And I, I assume that line is in reference to him just like not feeling like he's as manly because he is, you know, like we were talking about before. He does not perform, Miles, the character, does not perform masculinity in a way that is um, standard for the 90s. And (laughs) I do think there's definitely a trend in the 90s of like, what if I'm gay? There are a lot of like crisis, what if I'm gay episodes? And we definitely see Miles uh, freaking out about that in this one. So I think part of that is just, you know, we're, we're hearing an anxiety that was very of its time that I'm not doing, I'm not doing manliness enough. 
oh no, what does it what does it say about me? I you know that I'm playing a part. Maybe maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means that I'm that I'm actually not attracted to women at all. When in fact, like you know, the the episode ends with him like describing the extent to which he's attracted to women. So okay, but yeah, I think like one of the things that characterizes '90s uh, sitcoms in particular is a lot of very specific ideas about what the difference between men and women are supposed to be. Uh, and then also fat jokes, fat jokes, fat jokes. Those are those are the things that really make a 90s sitcom. Yeah. Yes. And then throw in a, a pregnant character. And yeah. So I think, yeah, that that cut bit. Um, I don't think the episode really loses much because it never really goes. It never really explores that. Like, well, what is the role that Miles is playing? Um maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's that could be a subject for for a different episode. But I don't think we lose much by by cutting that out. I also feel like that's one of those lines that means more like we were talking about, you know, the the audience who picks up everything probably to the writers that line didn't potentially mean what we now hear it as yeah. now is uh, I think more emotionally and mentally evolved viewers hearing a phrase like that is mm. going to ping a lot of our knowledge of especially coded phrases in some of these things uh, that they were like well we can cut that out because it's in the acting or it's in it's being shown not told in a different way um, but to an audience member hearing a line like that would probably mean even more to a level that they couldn't have anticipated at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I know um, Miles had, if I remember correctly, did he have like a, like a recurring girlfriend character at this point? Yes, mm-hmm. Daphne from Frasier. <laughs> oh, Played by okay. Jane Leaves. Who he was really <laughs> dating. Oh, well, good for them. Was Faith Ford's roommate. Okay, well, that that fills in a little bit. I wish she had been in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentions her, He, but she's not in it. I don't think that Frasier was on yet, but... Um, yeah, that would have made it much more interesting. Yeah, yeah, to see his relationship with her and also how she responds. Like, did he mention to her that he was having these feelings? I would have loved to see that scene. Yeah. I feel like she would have gone with it. Her character was so game mm-hmm. to go with whatever the conversation. I would have loved to have seen that as well. A partner who responded to that with, okay, if that's the thing. You know, and that's something that I kind of missed in the um, to go back to Fraser Niles Daphne relationship is when they did get together. I really would have enjoyed that relationship more if um, it was more of a. This is something that's on my mind right now because I'm doing a, a researching a video about the Muppets. But if it was more of an Ernie and Bert relationship where Niles is such a Bert and Daphne is not quite an Ernie. Like she's intermittently psychic, sure, and she's 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 a tough cookie. But I really would enjoy their relationship if she was a little bit more of a like a wild child, if more more of like Lisa Kudrow's character from Friends. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyway, and it sounds I, I think like in my memory she was a bit more of that on Murphy Brown. Yes. Oh, she was a total Phoebe on Murphy Brown. Mm, interesting. Interesting. That that I mean, you want to talk about '90s tropes? <laughs> that, yes. That, that, Which friend yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Join us next week for part two. Will a mystery guest please sign in? Gary Dantzig. And what do you do, Gary? I am a writer, and I have been a writer-producer. On anything specific? Ah, so you want <laughs> you want, you want the well, whole I thing. Well, I just wanted to remind people, you know, that this is the Murphy Brown Podcast, yes, just okay. in case they didn't know. So we, we talk uh, we, about you all the time. Oh, well, how, how great. Um, yes, I was on Murphy Brown for six years from the beginning of the show, I came on after the pilot episode, and um, I was there until the end of the sixth season. Um, and my writing partner and I, Steve Peterman, um, we took over the show 
after the end of the fourth season. So we became the executive producers for the fifth and sixth seasons. <laughs> and so we had developed Frank's character in this way that he was, uh, uh, you know, a neat freak. Everything had to be in place. He had certain qualities that you could attribute to either a highly neurotic straight man or a gay man, you know. And so we thought we should bring Frank out of the closet. We should, when we took over the show, we said, we'd like Frank to come out of the closet. It'll be the first major character on television that is a regular on a series that will be gay. And we built it up. And then Frank can go with the struggle at the age of whatever he was, 45, 50, of realizing, oh my God, my whole life, I've been not being honest with myself. Please follow us and interact with us. You can find us on social media at MurphyBrownPod. You can find our website, MurphyBrownPod.com. You can email us, MurphyBrownPod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast.